With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Fearless, informative, and unfettered. Mark Morano is unleashed on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome to Unleashed on TNT. This is your host, Mark Morano. All right. We are going to take a good examination, a deep dive back into the Mark Stein, Michael Mann climate trial of the century today. Uh, and I actually got a chance to go down to the D.C. courthouse. Uh, I was down there for the preliminary hearing. I went down to see also the other, last week to see Michael Mann in person uh, being on the witness stand for a little bit of a while. And of course, you can't, again, you can't film inside. So what I did, uh, I wanna just show you my introduction. This is me, clip two, at the DC Superior Court where the climate trial of the centuries taking place where Michael, Michael Mann is suing Mark Stein for defamation of character. Here we are at the DC courthouse with the trial of uh, Michael Mann versus Mark Stein and the defamation case, also Rand Simberg. Uh, I'll be reporting on this as much as I can through the coming weeks. Uh, I'll be here and others will as well, so you don't have to be, bringing it to you, the TNT audience. See you soon. Uh, and then I actually went in the courthouse. This is uh, clip three in the hallway, probably violating a courthouse etiquette and rules here right outside courtroom, the courtroom. I'm standing outside the very courtroom where Mark Stein and Michael Mann are inside as the climate trial of the century proceeds. Unfortunately, I can't film inside, but I will try to give you a first-hand account of everything that's transpiring here in Washington, D.C. courthouse. And uh, thankfully, uh, Ann McElhaney and Felon Mackler, who actually had Ann on the show last Friday talking about the Mark Stein trial, they've actually, since we can't watch video of this testimony, they've actually hired actors to recreate key parts of the testimony. And I wanted to play you here. This is clip four. This is Michael Mark Stein questioning Michael Mann in the witness box. Now, remember, this is a 12-year trial, started 2011. Uh, Michael Mann wanted to destroy National Review, Competitive Enterprise Institute. He wanted to take these down. We now know this. He's been bragging about it. They got the documents. And these lawyers that also came out in court that he isn't paying one cent for this 12-year-long lawsuit. Uh, so the question is, who's funding it? Obviously, he's well-funded. This is just meant to teach anyone who opposes the climate consensus a lesson. And one of the interesting things about this trial is Michael Mann was steeped in the climate gate scandal. Uh, his university documented how much money he made pre-Climategate and then after. And apparently his government funding and grants for his studies uh, dropped significantly, I guess. And he's trying to blame that on Mark Stein and his column, National Review, and Competitive Enterprise, Ram Simberg, the other defendant who also wrote a similar column. And it's just... It's absurd because Michael Mann got himself in the trouble. What happened was long before Mark Stein ever wrote a word on paper, many scientists, and I was there at the you know, ground zero of this whole thing of ClimateGate, scientists who worked in the UN came out and said, you know, we had it with Michael Mann. I may never work again, but here's what I think is going on. And they talked all about just that this consensus enforcement the idea that the top UN scientists were threatening journal editors, threatening not to publish. Mike's, Michael Mann was caught up in this 
asked to to uh, destroy documents that might be subject to freedom of information requests and their investigations. And he's caught in the climate gate emails replying on it. I'm on it right now. Kind of like he's deleting the documents. So he would not be responsive. And this is so Michael Mann got caught up in this and his, it also came down. It turns out many of his colleagues, co-workers, co-authors didn't even agree with his hockey stick. Now, just a little quick background. 1990, the UN Climate Panel Report comes out and shows the medieval warm period way higher than current temperatures. And this just didn't sit well. People were like, well, why is the uh, medieval warm period warmer? How is there a climate crisis if the medieval warm period was warmer than today? We didn't have SUVs and cold plants back then. So literally, and I mean literally, not saying it metaphorically. Uh, I literally mean literally. Uh, the scientific establishment, the funding that supports the United Nations, they came out and there was a scientist who came to testify the U.S. Senate Environment and Public Works Committee when I was there as the communication director, Dr. David Deming, and he said he was received an email from a well-known scientist affiliated with the United Nations and the whole climate establishment that, quote, we have to get rid of the medieval warm period, unquote, because it was an inconvenient talking point. We're seeing the same things now. We've talked about the 1930s heat waves in the United States were about 10 times hotter, according to Biden's own EPA charts. So what do you think? They, how, do they, how do they say we have unprecedented heat waves here in the U.S.? Well, it's, they can't. And this is why we have a scientist professor out of uh, Texas A&M, Andrew Dessler, who wants to say we have to get rid of the 1930s heat wave. He's actually said that. So this is common. When we had a global warming pause that was going on two decades, they said we have to get rid of the pause. So they went back and rechanged the number. So what Michael Mann did, he went back and changed the, uh, basically changed all the proxy data. I shouldn't say changed it, but he his version changed the historically prior to estimates of the of the medieval warm period, Roman warming period. It made it look, well, not that didn't go back as far as the Roman warming period, but he went back a thousand years of the Northern Hemisphere and he showed temperatures stable until the 20th century and then this big hockey stick. It literally made, it was not an agreement with all the prior studies. And since that time, there've been so many challenges. And that's one of the big things they're trying to get Ross McKittrick and uh, two statisticians and experts, economists, and uh, people who crunch the numbers and expose this hockey stick fraud. So Michael Mann was just had it before ClimateGate, then ClimateGate happens, and then he's caught up in the middle of this whole scandal. So people start writing about it, and there, this was also the time of Penn State University dealing with the Sandusky um, child rape cases, and of course Sandusky was convicted uh, of uh, rape. And I've heard from many Penn State alumni basically saying Sandusky either was not guilty or got a raw deal, or the whole thing was not the way it seems in the media. I don't know. I always thought he was the anyway. He is a convicted child uh, rapist, but. I, there's a lot of people out there who think there's more to the story. Don't know, but it, you could talk to someone from Penn State. Um, so what happened was that you know my, there's been allusions to you know the, the fact that during ClimateGate, two Penn State professors were caught up. There was the Sandusky, totally separate from Michael Mann and Michael Mann. So Michael Mann then conflated that. Michael Mann says he went to a supermarket, which we had Ann McElhaney on last week describing, and how someone gave him a mean look. That's some of the damages he suffered. So this is an audio, clip four, of Mark Stein questioning Michael Mann uh, on the witness stand, and then we'll go, then the next clip will be about the Nobel Prize. Let's do clip four right now. 
You have not introduced a shred of evidence to support the idea that Mr. Simberg and I are uniquely responsible for all the harm you suffered, have you? Uniquely responsible? I don't know how one could ever establish something that absolute. What we have asserted is that you crossed a line. Mr. Simberg crossed a line. You made direct accusations of fraud and misconduct in a national, widely read form and compared me to a convicted child molester, Jerry Sandusky. You mentioned we compared you to Jerry Sandusky multiple times now. It can't be your only answer in testimony, sir. I'll move on now. So that's the heart of that. That's one of the things that really upset uh, man. And a similar thing happened in with Tim Ball in Canada. I think his line about Michael Mann was, uh, instead of being a Penn State, he's going to end up in the state pen. Like, you know, for scientific misconduct, they're going to jail him. Well, he got sued too, and that case went on for a you know, similar decade. And then, of course, the court, in the end, Michael Mann either didn't bring his bring the prosecution, but anyway, the court found and, and ordered Michael Mann to pay damages to Timothy Ball, a, climate, a skeptical climatologist. And to this day, Michael Mann has never paid for it. Uh, and it, it really, uh, I hate to say broke, but it really caused a lot of stress to Tim Ball in his final years. He's now deceased, and they had to have a GoFundMe to cover the expenses to his funeral. So, um, you know, this this is, and it's weird. Then you find out that none of this was paid for by Michael Mann. It's all just some, you know, shadow money. It could be Soros funding. We don't know. But that's got to be part two. The other shoe has to drop. Okay. The next, this is the audio recreation of actors playing Mark Stein, questioning Michael Mann at this defamation case. This is brilliant. This is about Michael Mann claiming he was a Nobel Prize winner. Now, just to clarify this, the Intergovernmental UN Climate Panel, let's just keep it simple, won the Nobel Prize in 2007, along with Al Gore, they shared it. The Nobel Peace Prize. Now, I interviewed Dr. John Clauser, who won the Nobel Prize in physics, an actual scientific prize. Uh, if you put any stock in the Nobel Committee these days, who knows? But a peace prize is a political prize. And remember, Obama won it uh, for creating peace when he was only like two months in office or something like that. But so first for a, for a scientist, climate scientist, to be bragging that he won a Nobel Peace Prize, first of all, it's a little off because you're saying, oh, I got I got award for activism because i'm a political activist wasn't a scientific award no one recognized his scientific work period michael mann turns that into he won this award well he didn't win it squat the the client the united nations climate panel won the peace prize and shared it with al gore and then the united nations climate panel apparently sent out these little uh, leaflets saying all you scientists participated share in this but that's different than winning a nobel peace prize again for politics and you can't find Michael Mann's name in there. So let's let Mark Stein, this is clip four, Mark Stein questioning Michael Mann on the stand about his claims of a Nobel Peace, because Michael Mann used this claim repeatedly and allowed people to call him a Nobel Prize winner. So let's, let's take a listen. In 2012, in this very courthouse, you charged us both with defamation of a Nobel Prize recipient, correct? Yes or no? Are you talking about words that came out of my mouth or some filing to the court? I'm talking about your official statement of claim to this very court. It was crafted by my lawyers. I did review it, and we know the statement was made. There's a lot of lawyer blaming going on in your testimony. I would like to move into evidence plaintiff's original statement of claim. I believe it already is. If we can put up the original quote, you can see in there, quote, 
It is one thing to engage in discussion about debatable topics, quite another to attempt to discredit consistently validated scientific research through the personal and professional defamation of a Nobel Prize recipient. End quote. Did you read this before you sent it to the court? I had read over the entire statement. Did I focus on that, the wording right there? I may not have. If I had, I would have edited out that Nobel Prize along with several hundred other authors of... We'll come back to that in a moment. You did not correct Mr. Williams's false statement, made three times, that you are a Nobel Prize recipient, did you? Yes or no? I clearly did not correct that. This complaint was filed and accepted by this very court on October 22nd, 2012, correct? If you say so. How soon after October 22nd, 2012, did you learn that your claim to be a Nobel laureate was being questioned? I certainly was aware at the time that National Review took out the advertisement in my local newspaper to mock me by pointing out the Nobel Prize issue. Have you ever been in the presence of His Majesty the King of Sweden or His Majesty the King of Norway? Not to my knowledge. And you said that several hundred of you shared in this Nobel Prize. I put it to you that the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the actual winner of this prize, sent out over 2,000 emails to various persons associated with the IPCC in one form or another. Does that number sound about right to you, over 2,000? I was only aware of other paper lead authors who had received that, and I believe all of the examples that I found online were the numerous scientists who contributed to the award have obtained the same certificates to display on their website or appeared in papers. All of the examples that I've seen have been lead authors or convening lead authors. I haven't seen examples of those certificates for anyone else. Mind, there are several hundred lead authors. In addition, the IPCC has contributing authors. There are administrative staffers. I don't know exactly... All of the examples that I have seen have been fellow scientists who received the certificate. So what Michael Mann's trying to say is his over insane claims that he was a Nobel Prize winner and allowing his lawyers to demonstrate him that way, allowing his ads, allowing newspaper articles. You know, it's just like an honest mistake. It was an oversight. And then under cross-examination, Mark Stein really nails him because he's forced to admit that, first of all, it's a Nobel Peace Prize. I just need to keep saying that. This is not a scientific prize. Like, again, actual scientists win Nobel science awards. Uh, Dr. G uh, Ivar Gieber, who wrote uh, a promotion for my, my first book, Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change, was a Nobel Prize winning scientist in physics. So it's just weird for scientists to brag about, I won a Nobel Peace Prize uh, because I was at the right politics at the right time in history with what, what, what the establishment wanted. So I'm, I'm a great scientist because I followed the politics of the Nobel Committee, reckon, recognized a group I was working for. And the key thing that came out of that testimony was hundreds, Michael Mann's own words, hundreds of lead authors, coordinating authors going on down the line. I talked to Richard Lindsay, and this was when I interviewed him at his home and outside of MIT in Massachusetts. Uh, this is like 2015. And he said that he had gotten some similar certificate from the United IPCC, and he thinks he thinks it was he hung it in the bathroom or something. It was like a, a, you know, just a little form saying, "Oh, you've all contributed. Thank you very much." It'd be like working for a, a large company, at least hundreds of people, 
and the company gets recognized for half of a political prize and you're one of those hundreds working in the company and you're going around saying, I won the prize, I won the prize. That's the equivalent of what Michael Mann did. Hope I've explained that. This is, this is the last part, Mark Stein grilling further. Uh, Michael Mann on the witness stand in D.C. Superior Court about this Nobel Prize claims. Clip six. Then we come to, quote, Moreover, Dr. Mann's work on the first assessment report, 2001, of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, received recognition by being awarded for 2007 Nobel Peace Prize, unquote. Correct? It was very well received that way at Penn State. There was an article about how a number of scientists at the university had been co-recipients of the Nobel Peace Prize, but the dean of my college characterized it that way on his CV, and numerous other scientists around the country characterized it that way. There were newspaper articles that characterized it in that way. Possibly because you characterized it that way. But the reality is the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth, which is what we're supposed to be about in this room is that Dr. Mann's work, quote, unquote, has never received recognition by any Nobel Prize committee, correct? Yes or no? That's, that wording sounds incorrect to me, because IPCC, which won the Nobel Prize, shared it with, clarified on the website, that the IPCC itself, which received the award, says that the scientists, lead authors of the various IPCC reports, contributed to the award of the Nobel Peace Prize. It says so on the certificate sent to us. So he's, he's trying to justify all of these claims that he called himself a Nobel Prize winner by some certificate, which I mentioned, Richard Lindzen told me, maybe half jokingly, that he hung it in his bathroom uh, at home. Uh, he had no, he had nothing but, he has nothing but contempt for the UN IPCC, mostly. I mean, he doesn't respect it. Um, so that went on and that's still going on. I believe the questioning that that, that level of cross-examination is done. And this is 11 DC jurors who've been selected and the trial should be wrapped up in the next week and a half you know, in that range. So we will see. I, it's going to be hard to believe if a jury actually somehow finds you know, Mark Stein guilty of defamation. But we'll see how this goes. And even if Michael Mann loses, he probably won't pay any fines or damages. And he'll probably appeal and tie this up for another half a decade. The, yeah, this has been going on 11, 12 years as it is. Okay. One of the other funny, well, the other thing that big, the big breaking news of this story, well, for, for this show and for me, was uh, 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 Michael Mann was asked about my attack on him, Mark Stein, when he was cross-examining. I don't have the audio recreation of this, so I can only read you. Mark Stein uh, fires the Climate Depot torpedo. This is from Steve Malloy of Junk Science. He gets Mann to explain why this statement by Mark Morano in 2010 was not actionably defamatory. And what I wrote in 2010 was, quote, Man has become the poster boy of the corrupt and disgraced climate science echo chamber, unquote. And what's great about that is the theory behind it at the time is I wasn't National, excuse me, I wasn't National Review. I wasn't Competitive Enterprise. So it wasn't the big, he was looking for a big financial hit. At one point, he was bragging that he was going to bankrupt National Review, which is where Mark Stein and Ransomberg, I guess, columns ran. 
So, uh, so I had a lot of fun. I used to have, uh, during this whole scandal, I had a picture of Michael Mann as a numbers chef with a chef hat on, like he was cooking the numbers, had a lot of fun with that. But the people who probably had the most fun with going after Michael Mann was um, Minnesotans for global warming because they wanted it warmer. It's pretty darn cold in Minnesota in the winter. So they did a video spoof that Michael Mann went apoplectic about and tried to get banned. But we've got it. We've uncovered the video. So let's play this. I'll show you the first minute or so of this video. It's a music video spoof of Michael Mann's involvement in Climate Gate uh, and hiding the decline and temperature and also the hockey stick. So let's take a look. Clip one. Making up data the old hard way. Fudging the numbers day by day Ignoring the snow and the cold in a downward line Hide the decline Michael Mann thinks he's so smart Totally inventing the hockey stick chart Ignoring the snow and the cold in a downward line Hide the decline Hide the decline The climate gauge I think you have sealed your fate I hope you do a lot of time what you did was such a crime. What a great video, even now. Uh, that was 14 years ago. That's basically when this whole thing started. I think Mark Stein's column was 2011. And then the lawsuit was 2012 that Mark that um, Michael Mann started. So anyway, I just thought that was that's a really great video uh, for Minnesotans for global warming. And it's it's amazing because Michael Mann really was the poster child for corrupt science. And I don't know why he didn't do even more lawsuits. He's not paying for it. What's the big problem? But it is inconveniencing him now. I do have to say one thing. The late climatologist, Dr. Pat Michaels, um, was University of Virginia. And at one point, Michael Mann wanted to move from Penn State. It was after this whole Sandusky thing to University of, of Virginia. And I got wind of it and did a whole article about how this controversial climate gate scientist was moving. And I was told a few years later by, by Patrick Michaels that my article, which was an exclusive about Michael Mann planning a moving, killed his move to University of Virginia, made him stuck, be stuck at Penn State where he didn't want to be because of all the scandal. And later, you know, Michael Mann's always hated me. He writes about me in his books and, you know, different smears. Um, but he, Michael Mann, ended up moving to University of Pennsylvania, which is where he is now. So anyway, he finally got out of Penn State like he wanted to. But anyway, okay, when we come back, we're going to have uh, Dr. Mark Richards joining us. He's a physician consultant to the White House, was a physician. We're going to be talking about how big pharma medicine wants to keep you unhealthy and what what is going on with our modern world of nutrition uh, and everything related to our health today. We're going to take a deep dive into that and uh, in the whole agenda. In addition to that, before we go to break, uh, last December, the announcement, Julian Assange two-day public hearing was announced, and it's February 20th and 21st. 
at the UK High Court. It's going to determine whether Julian Assange will have permission to appeal his case or whether he will be extradited to the United States. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice, broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London, lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT. We'll be right back after these messages. TNT, Sonia Poulton. You feel the need to describe yourself along with being a useless eater, free speech isn't a phobia, as a male with a penis. Why would you feel the need to describe yourself as such? Well, you never know these days, do you? Anyone can have a penis, apparently, so just thought you better make sure everybody knows. And that, and that is the reality, isn't it? Words have lost all meaning. And one of the things that I wanted you to come on and come and join me about and comment about is the whole issue of gender and transgenderism. Are you cis, Jack? No, there's no such thing. There was, there was literally no such thing till a couple of years ago. And it's, it's their religion, it's not mine. And I refuse to get involved with this sort of terminology. It's ridiculous. Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. <laughs> My baby's back from the West Coast. <laughs> Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. <laughs> so long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And it's the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those beans smell heavenly. Mm -hmm. Give mom a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, we're welcoming to the program, uh, the program, Dr. Mark Richards, the author of the new book, Nobody Wants You Healthy, Achieving Better Health by Avoiding the Corruptions in Modern Medical Science. And, uh, and um, Dr. Uh, Mark, Dr. Uh, Richards was a former White House physician, oh, sorry, yeah, former White House physician, and he joins the program now. Thank you for joining us, uh, Dr. Richards. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so tell us a little about your book. It looks fascinating. Nobody wants you healthy. Uh, just let me give you the quick thought on this. When you talk to a lot of health establishment people, their first response is people are living, you know, generally longer than our ancestors. We're much healthier now. Infant mortality is down in the West. They try to spin everything as a huge success. Are we the healthiest we've ever been? And what do you mean by nobody wants us healthy? Who are the people that don't want us healthy? Okay, great question. That's why I had to write the book. I wrote the book for, <laughs> for my friends, my family, the public, and my fellow colleagues, um, because we were taught incorrectly. And in fact, we, no, we are not the healthiest we've ever been. If, if we compare today to 1965, for example, um, diabetes uh, is up by tenfold. That's a thousand percent increase. Um, we went from you know 1% to 10%. If you look at obesity, we went from less than 10% to over 50% of the population is obese. We are not healthy 
We are living longer perhaps in 1965 because medical treatments have improved, just like the murder rates in cities have gone down because the gunshot victims get to the hospitals and we've, as physicians and surgeons, have used our wartime training and we can save people that would have died in 1965. But that doesn't mean that we're better off. Um, and so, so that's sort of where I'll start. So the real start and beginning of this whole story um, happens to be the 1960s, which is why I picked 1965. If For those of you who have seen the movie, The Graduate, there's a scene where Benjamin comes out of the pool after his Harvard graduation and one of his dad's friends comes up, pats him on the back and says, plastics, my son, plastics. That's where we're going to, you, you should go into. And um, that's what happened in 1960s. Uh, they started developing plastics. They figured out how to make plastics. Uh, for those viewers and listeners who aren't old enough to remember back in 1960, when you went to the doctor, there were glass syringes and metal needles that were reused and there was rubber tubing going to IV bottles into the metal needle in your vein. There was no such thing as plastics. Your, your car seats were either leather or cloth. There was no such thing as vinyl. Um, or pleather. In order, right, yeah, pleather. or pleather, right? <laughs> so now uh, all these items have uh, uh, classic chemicals in them called phthalates. Uh, and phthalates and also people have heard of PBA, which has been theoretically reduced, if not banned, uh, and now it's replaced by PBS. These are chemicals that are in plastics to make them act like plastics. The problem with these chemicals, and I don't believe they knew it at the time, is that they're the most powerful hormone-disrupting chemicals we've ever mass-produced. So that, you know, a year or two ago, we were made 400 million metric tons of phthalates which equivalents to 200 times the toxic dose for every man, woman, child on the planet. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, these phthalates are in our water, they're in our food, they're in our air, um, because they leach out from the plastics, from building materials, they're in your sunblock, cosmetics, um, they're everywhere. And we can absorb them through the air when we breathe in the microplastics that are present over every continent. We can absorb them through our GI tract from our food and from water. And there's microplastic in over 95% of US tap water. And we can absorb them through our skin. So you, when you apply a sunblock or a soap or shampoo that has phthalates in it, it goes right into your bloodstream. And these things have caused a huge drop in the most abundant bioactive hormone in all living life, really, any animal life at least, and certainly in all humans, and it's the hormone that controls our metabolism. It's a hormone that controls inflammation. It's a hormone that controls immunity. So we really have screwed ourselves royally. And now with all this stuff in the environment, it's, it's gonna be a real mess to clean up. I mean, it's even in our rivers. So three of the rivers going into the Chesapeake Bay, 60% of the rockfish are hermaphrodite. The sea bass are hermaphrodite from all the plastics and endocrine disrupting runoff going into the rivers. So you can imagine what that's doing to the human population. You want me to keep going on that? Well, yeah. So, so like the average person, what impact? You're saying inflammation. Uh, what's the impact of the average person? If you look at your family, your extended person. family, could you say that was these conditions, the following conditions were likely caused by plastic? What would it be? What conditions? Absolutely. And, and again, in my book, um, I have a chapter for each of those conditions and how it, the decrease in testosterone hormone, which is our most abundant hormone, whether you're male or female, um, causes those conditions to get worse and how 
supplementation with them through a, a long-lasting steady-state testosterone pellet, which has been used since 1939 in this country, can make them much better or reverse them. So let's take inflammation. Inflammation of your vessels causes injuries in your vessels and causes plaques, you know, where you get that cholesterol buildup inside your vessels. And that's what causes strokes, heart attacks, you know, uh, limb amputations, those sort of issues. Inflammation in your brain causes symptoms that we recognize as depression, anxiety, irritability, aggression, all these issues. Um, you know, inflammation in your joints is what we recognize as joint pain or muscle pain or tendon pain, tendonitis. Those are just some of the inflammation things. If you think about metabolism, uh, a low testosterone prevents you from making an appropriate amount of another hormone called IGF-1. And that magic little hormone of IGF-1 is what makes your cells sensitive to insulin. So if your testosterone's low, your cells become insensitive to insulin, which is what we call diabetes. You can't metabolize your sugar, you can't handle your sugar. Low testosterone means your muscle mass decreases, but we start storing all these sugars into our fat cells, so we get obesity. So you get loss of muscle mass and obesity. And, and uh, finally, for the, I mean, there's lots to go on, but as a key point here that I'm sure is gonna shock almost everybody listening, we found out in 2000 that 100% of the estrogen in our cells, uh, for example, our bone cells require estrogen to build bone, uh, but 100% of the estrogen in each cell of our bodies, whether you're male or female, is made inside each cell from testosterone. Estrogen in the bloodstream does not cross that cell membrane. So when we wanna build muscle or build bone or repair nerves that are injured, we can't do it unless we have testosterone because the cells require estrogen as the fertilizer to make that growth happen. Well, how, how can we know definitively this is from plastic? Because it seems like around that time, at least by the 70s, the food pyramid changed. It was a huge consumption increase maybe of sugar, of white flour products, rise in obesity. Wouldn't these be cultural government policy unrelated to the plastic or are they all combined together? Well, great question. Once again, yes, it's all combined together. So the refined sugars, the refined carbohydrates, all those things that come in break down into inflammatory products. So we have an increase in inflammation because our testosterone has been dropping. And so we can't make all the anti-inflammatory cytokines and reduce the inflammatory cytokines. These are chemicals that cause inflammation. But now we're increasing the amount of inflammation that our bodies are exposed to. So you're right, the food does have a role in it. But if we had the testosterone levels we did in 1960, then it would be a, a, a different outcome. I'm not saying we would be able to go through all these refined sugars and inflammatory byproducts and be unaffected by it, but it would not have the devastating consequences that it does today. And the people that are leading these you know, food pyramid charges, um, they can't decide whether they want the pyramid upside down or upside right. I mean, it seems, seems to change every you know, 10 to 20 years anyway. Um, so it brings me to another point that I put in the book about nobody wants you healthy, uh, where in 2005, brilliant mathematician, doctor, statistician, uh, professor at Stanford, John Ioannidis, uh, wrote a landmark article that proved that over 75% of science research and especially medical research articles published in peer-reviewed journals 
are false. Over 75%, they're not reproducible in an independent lab. And that sort of corruption leads us into your first question of who doesn't want us healthy. All right, well, then the, the, the question is, why did we transform into this? Is it just because of profit, convenience, technological innovation? Why did we go, say, from 1965 to by, I don't know what year, maybe by the early 80s, it seemed pretty complete to, you know, the, the TV dinners, the, the massive increase in the, the hostess dessert products, the processed desserts, the processed chips, uh, school lunches, all the food pyramid. How did we end up well, first of all, tell us about the changes in our diet, say from the 40s, 50s, 60s to the 70s, 80s, 90s, what actually changed, and then tell us why these changes came about. Well, so here's the dirty little secret. All these processed foods are extremely high in phthalates, endocrine disrupting chemicals. And it's not necessarily the food ingredients that are in there that are causing the problems. It's the hormone disrupting chemicals that are in all processed foods. Phthalates even line tin cans because they make things flow smoothly. And what this results in is today, our testosterone levels in the general population are 60% lower than they were in 1970, over 60% lower. So we have all this inflammation. Who does this inflammation benefit? This inflammation benefits people that want to treat the symptoms of chronic disease, but don't want to prevent it. Right. And if you look at the 1.4 trillion in global revenue pre-COVID to the pharmaceutical industry, over 90% of that money came from selling drugs that neither prevented nor cured chronic diseases, but it treated the symptoms. And, and so it's against their fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to actually promote people like me who would be speaking on how to reduce chronic diseases by 50%. I mean, we can, we can reduce chronic diseases by 50%. My friend in Ohio did a 10 year study on testosterone pellets in women and found she reduced breast cancer over 40%. But she wasn't invited to speak at breast cancer societies in the US, she had to go to Europe because it would violate the funders of these societies fiduciary responsibilities to their shareholders to promote a technology that might get rid of 50% of their chemotherapy patients. Yeah, it's like promoting it any medicine other than, uh, you know, the vaccine during COVID, their COVID vaccine. Well, yeah. that, that, that's, a, that's another topic. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I'm just saying about that kind of control. So yeah. it, let's talk about that food pyramid. I remember it was the film uh, Food Inc., producer Robbie Kenney. I had never seen it, archival footage of Washington senator, Senate hearings, where they brought in food nutritionists, scientists, basically saying the government food pyramid was kind of crazy and this was experimental and why were they doing that? Were they, they recommended a whole increase of a lot of low fat foods, breads. What was behind that and what impact did that have? And yeah, I guess that's part of the processed food, but you know, people will eat pretzels and white flour products and then with sugar, I mean, that alone is enough to account for the inflammation and obesity rates, right? Just these kind of changes in our culture and government policy. Um, yes, it, it's, it's part of the same corruption. It, it's, you know, when you have the sugar lobby funding research to prove that an artificial sweetener is dangerous, you have to scratch your head a little bit. Um, especially given the baseline that over 75% of these research studies are false. Uh, yes. it's, it's so when you go to a food pyramid, uh, when people ask me about this, I, I tell them, 
you know, think about common sense. Think about over, you know, hundreds of thousands of years where we evolved, what have our bodies really evolved to process well? And they've really evolved to process whole foods well. You know, whole grains, meats, um, you know, maybe dairy. And that's really where we should be. When you start having very processed foods with sugar added, that's not the way we were ever designed in our, in our machines, our human bodies. That's not the way we're designed to process. And, and this is really where the problem comes in. So saturated fats, unsaturated fats, I don't know, look, look at what you know, vegetables have. What do meats have? Um, that they're gonna be healthy for us. You know, when you start changing that and, and making fats that don't exist in nature or making sugars that don't exist in nature or making hormones that don't exist in nature, um, you inevitably are gonna have a problem. Now, when I watch old movies, uh, 40s, 50s, everyone in movies, TV shows are always having eggs, bacon, sausage for breakfast. And then you fast forward now, everyone seems, you know, the convenience when the cereal revolution happened. You know, you can even see some of the ads in the 50s where cereal is being pushed. But what's healthier, eating eggs and bacon for breakfast or eating uh, frosted mini wheats or Cheerios for breakfast? I mean, you know, ob obviously <laughs> it's eating eggs and sausage and bacon for breakfast is much healthier than having most of the cereals for breakfast. The cereals are highly processed. Um, the grains may be healthy grains, they may have pesticides in them, and there's certainly a lot of sugar in almost all the cereals. So it's a very bad way to start your day. You know, usually a protein heavy with your carbohydrates coming from uh, grains and vegetables is, is the way to go. But processed grains, not, not so much. Processed food, not really. You know, frozen things are much, frozen vegetables are much healthier for you than canned vegetables. So it, it, it's, it's not hard to imagine what happened. If you went to the beach in 1960, if, if you saw somebody who was really obesely fat, it would, everybody would sort of be staring because it was such an anomaly. It would be so weird. You know, you go to the beach in, you know, 2017, um, nobody would think twice about, you know, the three or 400 pounder laying next to you on a blanket. It, it's, I, um, it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a problem society is going to have to deal with because in addition to the metabolic issues that we were talking about with, with related to food and the inflammatory issues we're talking about related to, you know, psychiatric issues, psychological issues, as well as cardiovascular issues. Um, we have fertility issues. And infertility among young people now is shocking. It's skyrocketing to the point where uh, one author, uh, Schwama, who's a um, epidemiologist, figures by 2050, most all human reproduction will be done in a lab in a test tube because we will be infertile because of our environmental toxins. Wow. And, uh, you know, I guess uh, the, the, our diets and everything. Yeah, that's what you're referring to. Um, well, if you, if, if you obviously, have, let's say you're a family or individual, you can't change all of this. What can the individual person do in terms of nutrition and what they should and shouldn't eat? Like beef jerky healthy. Uh, can you just go to the grocery store, buy apples and oranges? Are they healthy to, to eat at this point? Or is there too much on that? Can you go, I mean, any, is there anything you could order in a fast food restaurant that would be like a McDonald's? What's the best thing to order at McDonald's that would be the least toxic to your body? I mean, what's the practical way to actually fight this individually? I mean, probably the least toxic thing to order at McDonald's to, would be the salad, you know, they offer one. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. 
it's pro it's it's the processing it's the processing and it's it's very difficult to eliminate all these endocrine disruptors from your environment um i've had uh, one colleague in particular that did it after his first two daughters went through puberty at like 10 and he knew as a doctor this was just not normal and he moved outside of his metro area and he had a farm and he had well water and it was filtered and they just ate um stuff they grew and the local farmers grew and they froze vegetables and they ate meats from the local uh, farms um, that were wrapped in paper. Um, there was no plastic in the house. And the third daughter went through, had her period start at um, when she turned 16. And of course she's much taller and she's also healthier. And uh, you know, that's the sort of difference that he saw in becoming essentially phthalate free. Most of us can't become phthalate free, you're still gonna get some, like his kids still got some just from breathing the air, but all the other sources um, of, of endocrine disrupting chemicals were removed from his environment. And I thought that was a, an amazing story you shared with me. Wow, all right, we have to take a break. We're talking with Dr. Mark Richards, MD. Nobody Wants You Healthy is his book. We'll be right back. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Last week when Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked about the position of Joe Biden when it comes to late-term abortions, she had the phony rhetoric ready to go. What I will say is majority of Americans, majority of Americans wants to see their rights protected, wants to see women have their rights protected, wants to be able to, wants, want women to be able to make those deeply, deeply personal decisions on their bodies, on their own, not politicians. That's what majority of Americans want to see. And so the president's going to stand with majority of Americans on this issue. Do those unborn babies have any rights then? I'm not gonna get into that specific, I'm not gonna get into that question. Rights for unborn babies, what are you, mad? <laughs> but let's take a look at how Americans really feel about the issue of abortion. This is from Gallup, May of last year. Only 34% of Americans believe abortion should be legal under all circumstances. 34%, a majority, 64% say limited circumstances or not at all. And in the same poll, only 22% of Americans believe third trimester abortion should be legal at all. It just shows that Corinne Jean-Pierre and her leftist buddies are a bunch of liars. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk, TNT Radio.
Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. We're talking with Dr. Mark Richards, author of Nobody Wants You Healthy, Achieving Better Health by Avoiding the Corruptions in Modern Medical Science. All right. Um, so looking at this from an angle, you'll hear like RFK Jr.'s whole presidential campaign seems to be railing against big pharma. And of course, we went through what I consider unprecedented changes since March of 2020. First of all, Operation Warp Speed, which I think was a horrible idea. Second of all, the mRNA vaccine being able to bypass any kind of uh, safety checks, you know, as to be rushed. And third of all, and probably the most consequential, I believe, was the suppression of any other treatments, because if they found an effective treatment for COVID, then you couldn't have the, uh, the, the justification. What happened to big medicine there? And because I, I mean, my daughter went to get ivermectin and she couldn't get it at CVS, Walgreens. Pharmacists were saying, we don't care what your doctor prescribed. We're not prescribing it because that's misinformation, disinformation. It was really scary stuff. What impact has that had on our health and medicine? And what does that hold for the future when you know, pharm pharmacy chains can overrule doctors and vaccine mandates and uh, rushed vaccines. Well, that's exactly it. Uh, you, you, your questions nailed it. It's um, if people want to learn more about this, they can go to nobodywantyouhealthy.com, and I have podcasts on these sort of things. I think they'll find interesting. But let's start with. Um, Let's start with the corruption in big pharma. As I alluded to before, they really uh, have a responsibility to develop large revenues, not necessarily to cure or treat anything appropriately. Um, the FDA is in large part funded by pharma. The FDA commissioners end up working usually for big pharma or on their board of directors uh, for a large salary when they leave. And so there's a loss of integrity in our governmental system. And that's really where all of this starts. So let's take a, a simple example of cholesterol medication. Yeah. So now somehow with the false studies and sciences coming out, doctors are told you gotta give a cholesterol lowering drug statins to everybody who's over 200. And in their study of 10,000 people, they said there was a 20% reduction in heart attacks if everybody over 200 took a statin drug. Now that sounds fabulous, but if you actually looked at the study, you realize that out of 10,000 people, 20 were getting heart attacks if they weren't on statin drugs, and 16 were getting heart attacks if they were on statin drugs. So that's four out of 10,000. That's a 0.04% of the people that took the statin drugs got an improvement. And I would suspect that over 5% of the people on statin drugs had severe issues with it, from memory loss to muscle pain to tendon pain to all sorts of other things. So when you look at the risk-benefit ratio, it doesn't make any sense. Um, when a outside source in Europe did 12.8 million people study on, stat on cholesterol levels, they found that the lowest death rates were on people between about 210 and 250 and almost every decade of life. So Again, it doesn't make any sense that we're trying to push cholesterol levels below 200. When you look at the COVID debacle, um, it was it was a corruption problem from the beginning. You know, it was a um, bioweapons research that was done in a lab in North Carolina by Ralph Barrick, and his study lasted from 2012 to 2015. In 2014, um, NIH. I, Fauci and Collins gave him permission to continue his gain-of-function research because Congress had previously banned it unless the NIH heads approved it. 
And then in 2015, he published his article and his article said, hey, you know, first time we created this virus, it can spread through the air and kill humanized mice. Isn't that great? Well, it was the corona bat virus with a SARS spike on it, which is, of course, what we have now. And um, the Pasteur Institute in France, which is the foremost infectious disease research institute in the world, in my opinion, uh, warned in 2015, a month later after he published this in Nature Medicine, that it was the most abominable research ever done because if it escapes the lab, it's going to cause a pandemic of unknown consequences. So when there was a presidential decree in 2016 banning all gain-of-function research on U.S. soil, uh, it could be outsourced and if the head of infectious disease at NIH approved it or the Defense Department determined it was in national interest to do it. So what did they do? They outsourced it to the Wuhan lab and just bypassed all the safety committees that were required to go through. Of course, the head of bioethics at NIH was Fauci's wife, so that might have had something to do with it. And Fauci mm. has a big intellectual property right on the mRNA platform for vaccines. Anyway, everybody ignored all the warnings. In 2018, the French told us, don't do any dangerous research in the Wuhan labs. We built those labs, they're leaky. Uh, DOD did it anyway, as did NIH. And they, uh, even though DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, told them they wouldn't fund it because it was too dangerous. So here we are. So then what happens? So then it's a big cover-up. So everybody's trying to cover their butts so they don't look stupid. So then it became almost illegal to mention that it was a lab leak. Uh, yeah. I was censored. Lots of people were censored that it was a lab leak. People had their careers threatened for mentioning it was a lab leak. Fauci pulled the funding from many researchers who had said it was a lab leak. Um, and basically, if you wanted to be employed, you better not say it was a lab leak. Um, so that's the first thing that happened. Then the next thing is, Oddly enough, um, Fauci became the head of our, our fight against this pandemic, the very man who funded the research that caused it, and the very man that was going to benefit from an experimental modified RNA vaccine platform that he had intellectual property rights from and would get paid by. So even though this platform had failed in the animal model for nearly 20 years because it only gave limited time of immunity and it caused the animals uh, to get disproportionately sick, um, it got pushed. And then you look at the data that came out of the CDC. Again, Stanford looked at it. And what did they find? They found that a child 19 and under, uh, under 19 years of age has a three in one million chance of dying from COVID. That's a very low risk. That's almost zero. So, I mean, if aspirin was a treatment for COVID, it may not have passed the test to be better treatment than just taking your risk with COVID. <laughs> so, so, now they're pushing the vaccines on children. Well, what does that do? I mean, the risk in the German national data of a child being killed or injured requiring hospitalization from a vaccine was about one in 5,000. You know, even if they overestimate it was one in 10,000, I mean, why would you give them a one in 10,000 risk for a almost zero risk of dying from the disease? It, and you have to question all this. And it all boils down to a loss of integrity and in the pursuit of money. Nobody's being honest. The agencies are captured um, and there's a lot of money to be gained by it. And the politicians love the power with these mandates they did that were unconstitutional as it's been ruled by the courts. But the censorship continues and it's, um, it's a dangerous situation. I mean, it's an extension. I didn't intend to write about COVID, uh, but, and I don't mention it in my book, but it's an extension of the same loss of integrity that we have uh, that caused this COVID pandemic to spiral out of control.
Okay, we have to we have to we have to go. We're out of time. But Dr. Mark Richards, your book is Nobody Wants You Healthy, and I guess the website's nobodywantyouhealthy.com. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, I encourage people. Thank to you go so there. much. Thank you so much for joining Unleashed with Mark Morano. Fascinating discussion. We'll see you next time on TNP.